people are so intimidated by cooking. But so what if you burn the sweet potatoes? Find an easy recipe and give it a try because it can be really rewarding and it can be fun. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Hope you guys are hungry because today we are heading to the kitchen. Whether cooking comes naturally to you or not, chances are the pandemic has forced you to cook more. If anything, an uptick in cooking for ourselves and our families has given us a deeper respect for those who do it professionally. Luckily, we don't have to do it alone because there are countless chefs and food pros who take it to the internet to show their tasty how-tos. And perhaps the most famous example of this and one of my personal favorites is Tegan Gerard, also known for her brand, Half-Baked Harvest. I've been a Half-Baked Harvest super fan for as long as I can remember. And with two and a half million Instagram followers and multiple best-selling cookbooks, I'm definitely not the only one. I have hundreds of saved Pinterest and Instagram posts with her menu ideas that I try out and compare with my girlfriends all the time. Most recently was her chocolate chunk banana bread mug cake, which was delicious. Today, Tegan is here to teach us her secrets to how to make gorgeous, delicious meals. Hey, Tegan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited. I've been following your work for years and... Frankly, I get hungry every time I look at it. So let's just start from the beginning, okay? You (laughs) grew up in a family of nine. Is that right? Oh, gosh. Every time someone asks me that, I kind of like count in my head again. But yes, a family of nine, five brothers, two girls. But now we're a family of 11. There's a new brother. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) 11? What number are you in this order, by the way? I'm sorry, 10. I'm so sorry, 10. 10. Oh, okay. You're like wishful thinking for the 11th child so you can get to the baker's dozen soon or what? We don't need that. (laughs) We don't need that. 10 is good. 10 is good. And what number are you in the 10? So I am right in the middle. I'm number four, as my my dad would say, the the number four child. The number four child. (laughs) So he, He just calls his kids, oh, my number four, my number three. I'm like, dad. I mean, I wouldn't remember the names. So I think numbers are the right way to keep up with everyone. And you said that five are boys. And so what, five are girls? Well, there's six boys now, actually. So there's six boys and two girls. And two girls. And then the mom and the dad. Yep. Okay. Oh my goodness. Well, that is a big family. What did you take away from that kind of upbringing? I mean, it shaped me in so many ways. I wouldn't change it for the world. I love being a part of a big family. I can't even imagine like only having one sibling or being an only child to this day. You know, my brothers are really my best friends and we all get along really well. So it's really nice. And then you just, it's an interesting dynamic, you know, like everyone pitches in to help out. It's good. And everyone always has something to do. So like growing up with so many brothers, like no one was ever bored. (laughs) No one was ever bored. And I grew a really thick skin because a lot of boys, they're going to push you around a bit. So Totally. And is that why you originally developed a love of cooking? Were you guys just making massive pots of pasta to feed so many children when you were little? (laughs) Or like, how did this all begin? Sort of. Yeah. Basically, 
my mom wasn't very much of a cook. She was a baker so much more than she was a cook. So we would have like chocolate chip cookies on the table before dinner was even a thought, which, you know, nobody really complained about like delicious. We all love chocolate chip cookies. Totally. But you know, we needed like solid food too. And my dad worked nine to five at the time. And then he would always go to the gym afterwards. So he wouldn't get home till, I don't know, seven, seven thirty, because traffic and all that stuff. So we were just always eating dinner super, super late. And that's kind of when I was like, screw this. I'm tired of eating at nine, nine thirty at night. And I started cooking for the family. And also the other thing too, was like, his meals were like chicken and rice, tacos, more chicken and rice. So I kind of just started cooking eventually. I was probably like 13 or 14. And I really grew a love for like being able to please people so easily through food. I love to see someone's face light up when they take a bite of something. And it's just even better than they could have expected. So where were you learning all of these cooking tips and recipes when you were a teenager starting to cook for your family? The internet. Google was my best friend. Google is still my best friend. Let's be honest. I Google everything. So it was a lot of trial and error. You know, I definitely looked at recipes in the beginning for sure to be able to like understand how something comes together. But then I kind of took it and did my own thing. I still can't follow a recipe. I have a hard time following my own recipes. (laughs) So I just kind of like did my own thing. And as I kept cooking and cooking for my family and cooking for myself, I really was able to learn what flavors go together and how to do things, not necessarily in the right way, but in the ways that worked for me. And then how to cook with ingredients that I had on hand, because I mean, I wasn't driving to the store, so Mm. I had to use whatever my mom had in the pantry. And granted, she had a nicely stocked pantry, but it wasn't any type of like overly fancy foods or anything like that. So I had to work with what I had. Right. Rice and chicken and tacos is what the norm was in your family. So those were the materials. For sure. I love it. And then how did cooking go from a hobby to something you do professionally? Well, so I kept cooking all throughout high school and started taking college classes for high school credit, but also college credit. So I was able to graduate early with an associate's degree. And from there, I had always said growing up that I really, really wanted to go into fashion. I wanted to be a stylist. So I applied to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, was accepted, was like very excited to go to LA. I was 18, moved to LA, got a job, stayed there for about three months. And then I was like, no, I can't do LA. Like LA is a lot, um, especially at 18. And especially for someone who is so close with her family and has never lived apart from their family. So I definitely had like a... Where did you grow up again? So I grew up in Ohio, but um, we moved to Colorado when I was in sixth grade. So kind of like half and half. Okay. So, but never like a big city. So now here you are in a big city and it's overwhelming. Yeah. So I got to LA and I had like a a freak out moment and I was like, no, I can't do LA, you know, scurried on back home. Like I was definitely feeling a little bit like, okay, what do I do now? Like I can't just sit here. And I didn't really want to like go to college major in something that I didn't care about and then spend all this money that like, it was a waste. It felt like a waste to me. My parents are very non-traditional. So that was never like, you've got to go to college. Like that was never Mm -hmm. like an issue for me. So I feel very lucky that way. It was actually my mom then at that time that was like, why don't you start a food blog? Because at the time 
this was probably like, I don't know, you know, eight or so years ago. And at the time, you know, blogs were really just kind of like picking up momentum at that time. Totally. Instagram was around, but it wasn't what it, it wasn't anything like what it is today. It was just starting at that time, it was, like eight or nine years ago. I had no idea what it was. I'm like, my brothers were the ones that were like, you got to get on Instagram. I'm like, what's Instagram? <laughs> yeah. So she encouraged me to start it. We actually had taken out the domain name for Halfway Travis when I was 16. My family spent a summer in Oregon that year because my brother snowboards. And so we were up at Mount Hood and I was really bored and cooking so much and reading a little bit of food blogs at the time. And so I don't know if I had the idea or who had the idea, but my mom and I came up with the name Half H Harvest and we actually bought the domain name then, but I never did anything with it. And so I didn't post my first blog post until I was 18, but just about to turn 19. And it was really because my mom, she was like, you should start doing this. I started and I literally never looked back, just worked 24-7 on it, still working 24-7 on it. I never looked back. It was the best decision I made. Yeah. It's almost as if you were manifesting this as a teenager, like waiting (laughs) for this to happen. You bought the domain name. Like maybe deep down inside, you've got some magic powers in there, girl. (laughs) You you knew this was coming. Yeah. And now can you give us some like humble brag bullet points of how big the brand has gotten and some of the successes you've had? (laughs) Um, Yeah. When I started it, I never would have thought. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking when I started Happy Travis, but yeah, I mean, we've grown a lot. We have a huge following on social, which is very incredible. And our community is absolutely incredible. I've just had the kindest, kindest followers and I always say this and it's so cheesy, but they really feel like family to me because, you know, they're spending their nights with me so many nights each week. And it's awesome to see all the recipes that they've made. I have released two cookbooks now, one being a New York Times bestseller. This hasn't necessarily been released yet, but working on a third at the moment, as well as some really fun product things are in the works right now as well. So there's just kind of like been multiple collaborations that have been really amazing. I mean, so many things. So it's incredible kind of when you take a look back at it to see all that we've been able to do. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It's it's really incredible. And I think especially in a world, you know, Britain Co. covers food. I look at all kinds of food blogs and chefs and influencers and everything else. And yours really does stand out. So thank you. I really mean it when I say like great work. And I think you've got something really special. (laughs) Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So let's now impart some of that wisdom <laughs> to our listeners here who, you know, might be on the spectrum of terrible cook, great cook, <laughs> mediocre cook. They don't even know if they like to cook. What do you say to people who might think they hate cooking and they're really bad at it? To just try it. I know that like, that's like, everybody says that, but you really do just have to like, take the fear away from it. Take the like, oh, I don't want to cook out of it. Pick a simple recipe. Don't start with something that is going to make you want to pull your hair out because obviously, why would you want to do that again? So pick a recipe that sounds really great to you, but also feels manageable, uses ingredients that you either have on hand or can easily find at the grocery store. Like, Don't pick out something overly complicated because that's never going to be successful. And just start cooking, like put on your favorite music and pour yourself a glass of wine if you do that kind of thing and have fun. I feel like people are so intimidated by cooking sometimes, but it's really, I mean, so what if you burn the sweet potatoes? Like you can either start over or at that point, if it's really bad, order a pizza. Like it's just food. So you like have to take, I feel like all the fearfulness out of it and just give it a try because I think that when you do you can really see that it is actually fun and it can be really, really rewarding, especially if you are feeding a family or even just yourself. Like at the end of a recipe, it feels really great to have it completed and have it taste delicious. So it can be really rewarding and it can be fun. So I would say just give it a try, find an easy recipe and give it a try. Yeah, I think of cooking like any other act of creativity and you know, people are so intimidated by anything creative they've never done before because they think they're going to mess it up. But the reality is the beauty of it is in the process, right? It's the sort of meditation and flow that happens when you're just mixing things together, like, you know, putting your own creative elements into something. And I think cooking, especially as opposed to baking, is more creative in that way because you can take it so many different directions. Like you were saying, you can't even stick to your own recipe because you want to like alter it in the middle of the process. And I think that, cooking similar to every other type of art form should be interpreted that way. It's about the play that happens. Do you agree? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, like you said, it really can be so relaxing. And if you are baking, yes, it's a little bit more of an exact science. But when you are cooking, like, I think it's really fun. Like, if you don't have an ingredient, we'll use something that you do have. I mean, of course, that's not, you can't do that maybe with every single recipe. But there's a lot of recipes that have very easy swaps that you can use things that you have on hand if you just kind of like think about it for a second. Like, oh, well, I don't have this, but I have, you know, say recipe calls for peanut butter, but I have tahini, you know, it's a fun swap to make. And mm. what other swaps do you love? Oh gosh. I mean, I'm always doing some really random things if I don't have something on hand or, you know, a lot of times ingredients are harder to find. I live in a smaller town. So I try to really keep ingredients pretty minimal and things that most people are able to find in any grocery store. So a lot of times I'll be swapping different ethnic ingredients out for something that maybe you wouldn't be able to find at, like you'd have to go to a specialty Asian store, say, or something like that. So I don't know, but off the top of my head, I mean, I just wrote a recipe that I originally had thought would be great with peanut butter, but like I said, I actually did it for tahini. I love to do healthier things like swapping in honey or maple syrup for sugar. 
So just kind of like simple things for that, or even like switching up the spices in your average, like, so I'm working on a sweet potato recipe right now. And the only time you think of sweet potatoes in a sweet way is like in Thanksgiving, but I actually think it's a really great combination. I was going to do them a very spicy sweet potato, but now I'm going to do a slightly sweeter one, but it's savory. Mm. So I'm going to do some cinnamon in there. And I feel like that's maybe a little bit more creative for people and you got to really think about it, but there's some fun things that you can do. My favorite swap, which is really, I feel like juvenile compared to tahini, <laughs> is, is, the, is to swap in applesauce for oil in mm-hmm. like cakes and even the cake mixes that you can buy from the store. For sure. I love doing that. <laughs> right. And like I always do like melted coconut oil in place of like a canola oil or something like that. Oh, why? Just healthier? It's just a healthier swap. And you can't typically taste the coconut oil in some recipes that stands out more than others. But yeah, it's just a much healthier swap. So I do that a lot too. But I'm a huge fan of the applesauce. I'll do bananas a lot of times just because I love bananas. For oil? No, no. Like oh, oh as you do applesauce. Just add it. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, got it. Okay. I was like, I didn't know you could swap bananas for oil. That's a, that's a new thing I've learned. I, I haven't done that one yet, but you never know. Okay, let us know how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> what about your favorite pantry staples? Like, what are the things we should always have in the house? And are there things that you always buy versus make from scratch? Yeah, definitely. So pantry staples, it's funny. My mom growing up was a freak about like always having her staples on hand, which were like, chocolate chips and butter. Um, so she always <laughs> she's had, a good mom. I yeah, like she, this woman. She's just she, making cookies all day. Basically, <laughs> she's great at that. But yeah, so make sure that you have the ingredients on hand that you tend to cook with the most. I always say it's so important to really have a well-stocked spice cabinet. So dried herbs and spices, because with dried herbs and spices, like my dad growing up didn't ever buy fresh herbs or anything like that. So that's really what he cooked with. And he was able to add a lot of flavor to dishes through those spices and herbs and they never went bad. So he always had them on hand instead of having to run to the grocery store for say like fresh oregano. So I always have a really well-stocked spice cabinet with dried herbs and spices. And then of course the essentials, you need your olive oil and your flowers and things that you use a lot every day that never really go bad. Canned beans, you know, that was a big pandemic thing. I feel like everyone has like so many canned beans right now. They're like, well, what do I do with these? <laughs> I may or may not have bought a 24 pack yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. I don't know why. For sure. Tomatoes, <laughs> tomato paste, a really good pasta sauce that you love. And any ingredients like pasta sauces to me, like I use uh, Rayo's tomato sauce. I've made my own, you know, marinara sauce for sure, but it's so good. So I just keep that in the pantry instead of making my own. And it makes for like, you can do pizzas or you can do a pasta that way. And then of course, like nut butters, I always have peanut butter and almond butter and things like that. But you know, just any kind of ingredients that you are dry staples that last, I think it's important to have that you enjoy and really use a lot. Garlic, onions, all those things. And then also a freezer, like having a really well-stocked freezer with frozen vegetables and fruits, you can literally create meals off of that. So, oh, and then of course, like pastas and grains, you know, are great staples to have in your pantry at all times. And then do you prepare anything from scratch that you freeze or keep somewhere? Is that something we should do? Yeah. I mean, I'll do like in the summer when I have a ton of basil, I'll do pesto and I'll freeze that into like little ice cube trays that you can like pop them out and stir them into sauces. 
midwinter. So that's really nice. So like you can think about that in the summer, if you're growing basil or any kind of herb, you can really make any herb into a pasta. I think it's really fun with pasta to like switch it up and not just use basil or use a multiple mix of herbs. And you can freeze those in little ice cube trays or bags and like pop them out when you need them and just stir them right into sauces. So that's really a good thing that I do. And then I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I like freeze or keep in the, I don't jar anything. I've, I haven't gotten into that quite, quite yet. You're not a canner. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> you make your own jams just yet. Do you, ha- you have your own garden? In the summer. I'm in Colorado. So, in and, and up in the mountains, so it's incredibly hard to grow things here. So we have a greenhouse because even at night, like there's only, I want to say like 30 nights out of the entire year that it doesn't like dip below freezing here. So you got to keep things, you know, warm in a greenhouse, but yeah. And we only do herbs really. Sometimes we'll do some tomatoes and peppers, but it's got a little bit of a hard time getting things to grow. Um, But the herbs, we have success with herbs. So definitely do an herb garden in the summer. And it's my favorite thing. I love it. I love that. What about on the tech side of it? Are there any apps you love or like cooking tech, like cool gadgets you use when you're making all your meals? Yeah. So it's funny. I'm so minimal uh, when it comes to anything in the kitchen. Like the only app that I would say that I use is, and it's not for cooking is Instagram. And it's really just to give people my videos and recipes and things like that. But as far as like in the kitchen, I really stick to like staples. I have, I cook with basically all cast iron. So I can do so much with just like a skillet and a you know Dutch oven and they're incredible and I love them. I would highly, highly recommend always having a cast iron skillet in your kitchen. Why is that better than a normal skillet? Well, you can literally cook everything in cast iron, especially in the cast iron that they're making these days. Everything's pretty much enamel coated, which is like a kind of like a non-stick and you can cook tomatoes. Like everybody's always like, can I cook tomatoes in my cast iron? Like you can do it that way if you have an enamel cast iron skillet. And they just give you a really great sear. They create food that's really flavorful and you don't have to deal with any of the chemicals that a lot of nonstick pans are off. You know, I know that they're getting better, but that are, you know, in a lot of nonstick pans. So I always prefer cast iron over everything else. And they're really durable. Like you can have one pan your entire cooking life, whatever that is. (laughs) So for years and years and years, and it's still... will cook the same in 30 years, you know? Mm, I love that. And then, of course, knives. I use my knives every single day, sharp knives and a good cutting board. And then as far as like gadgets, I have a stand mixer and a food processor. Use those all the time, blender all the time. And <laughs> funny enough, a cookie scoop is like, I use a cookie scoop every single day oh. for some reason. For what? Besides cookies, what do you use it for? So many things like to roll meatballs, to scoop out just like a tablespoon size measures and drop it onto a pan of like anything. I'm trying to think of like super random things, but meatballs is one of the things that I do a lot of. Or even like if you're making something that requires like a ravioli or something and you want to like scoop out the cheese filling and get each ravioli kind of like pretty similar amount, I'll do that. But there's just so many uses for the cookie scoop I found. It's really random. I love that tip. I've never (laughs) used a cookie scoop like for anything other than cookies. Well, I didn't even own a cookie scoop. I haven't even owned it a year. And all of a sudden, it's like my favorite thing in the kitchen. You'll see, like, just start thinking about either anytime you have to use a spoon. Yeah. Just be like, wait, could I use the cookie scoop and easily like 
it just easily releases everything yeah. where you don't have to get your hands dirty. It makes so much sense. I have a four and a six-year-old and they have like little kid spoons that mm-hmm. I actually usually steal from their kid's silverware drawer to scoop things myself. So I feel like the cookie scoop is the 2.0 version yeah. of the kid's spoon. I love it. Just try it. It's good. I don't really have any other gadgets. I have an espresso machine that I absolutely love and use every day. But other than that, very, very simple. I keep it simple. I love my counters like clean and that's what I got. I love it. So let's go back to the person who might not feel like they have time to cook or might not be a great cook. If you were giving advice to someone who was strapped on time, wasn't a great cook, and you had three meals that you could tell them they should make every week, those could be their staple three meals. What would those meals be? This definitely depends on you know, the flavors you enjoy. But for me, it's definitely, you need like a taco recipe that you love and that is quick and easy, which most taco recipes are. And a really great pasta that is, you know, something your family loves, whether it's a pasta bacon, you can prepare it on a Sunday and then just like throw it in the oven midweek. That's really great. And I am so big on creating like food that you might get at a restaurant or order out or something like that. So I love a good takeout takeout style recipe because they're typically really quick. So, you know, like a fried rice or some kind of like saucy noodles. Those are really, really quick recipes that can be thrown together typically with pantry staples. So it's nice to like have those in your back pocket. And what else is good? I mean, I like your taco vibe. I was going to say like quesadillas. <laughs> oh, that so, seems easy. It's like basically the taco's sister, right? Or cousin. For sure. I think you just have to like have a handful of recipes that have like 10 ingredients or less that your entire family loves. Tacos, quesadillas, pastas, pizza. I love doing weeknight pizza because you can, you know, buy the dough at the store or make it yourself, whatever. And literally just roll it out and put on whatever's in your fridge. You just need some cheese some vegetables or not, you know, pepperonis and they're in the oven. So I love a pizza night. And how do you make a basic meal like a pasta more repeatable? (laughs) Like how would you mix that up over time? Yeah. So my, it's funny, my dad growing up, we, well, it's still his recipe. It's not a recipe at all, but he has this thing that we call a Friday night pasta bake because he used to make it all the time on Friday nights. And it's literally the simplest thing, but it is so good. It's just a whole bunch of angel hair pasta because that's my mom's favorite pasta. But he always says it's so much better with like a shortcut pasta, tons of dried like Italian spices, like basil, oregano. He did a, like a little bit of garlic in there. And then you toss the pasta with lots of olive oil, like a third to a half a cup of olive oil. It's kind of like he, and then he loads it with cheese on top and then loads thinly sliced bell peppers. And sometimes he would do pepperonis and like a little bit of Parmesan, but and he threw it in the oven and he'd bake it for like 45 minutes. And what happens is like the peppers caramelize in the oven and just get really, really delicious and become like roasted peppers. And then the cheese gets crusty on the edge. So you get so many different really good flavors. And like I said, going back to those dried herbs and spices, it was really, really flavorful. It takes him 15 minutes to put together, but it's literally everyone's favorite recipe. And what's fun about it is you can switch up those flavors by switching up the spices or switching up the vegetables that you toss the pasta with. And you really only need like pantry staples and maybe a fresh vegetable to create it. So I think that's really fun. You could do like a spinach and artichoke situation. You could do a pizza pasta, which I just did recently and like toss it with your favorite sauce 
a little bit of cheese, put some cheese on top and add pepperonis. So really simple stuff like that is good, right? To do with process. That's so fun. I I don't do a lot of pasta bakes I, other than like lasagna, but that's like such a novel way to mix it up that I hadn't thought about before. Well, we love we love pasta. All the carbs, please. Yes, please. All the carbs <laughs> for sure. What about spicing up leftovers? Do you have any like favorite recipes you use for common leftovers? Yeah, I feel like this one's really easy, but I just made it the other night. Fried rice is always a hit with the leftover rice and you can take whatever vegetables you have that are like on your last leg in the fridge, grab a couple eggs and just like stir fry everything together in a skillet with a touch of soy sauce, maybe some like chili flakes, use whatever you've got and it's so good and everyone loves it. If you have chicken, you can throw that in there, but like you could also do just keep it vegetarian and throw in whatever vegetables you have. And then things like roasted vegetables and stuff like that. I love doing some kind of like egg, like a frittata, and you just toss it all together in a skillet and you can either cook it on the stove or bake it, put a little cheese on top. Or what's another like leftover that people have a lot of? Oh, any kind of chicken. Like if it's more of like a roasted chicken situation, there's so many things you can do with that. You can make tortilla soup. You could make chicken noodle soup. You could do enchiladas with that. So there's a lot of fun things you can do with leftovers. I love that idea. I think the fried rice is one I haven't done before, but oh, really? it's like my husband's favorite. I, I may, yeah, maybe I just haven't been living in <laughs> this kind of world. I know, love it. It's actually perfect if you have leftover rice because fried rice is so much better made with cold rice, cold leftover rice. So ah. it actually works perfectly. Oh, there you go. What about experimentation? So, you know, I'm really like a, I'm more of a baker than a cook, I would say. Me and your mom, like I said, would get along. And so I try to stick to the, I'm also like a rule follower. So I try to stick to recipes and do the things they say, other than of course my my applesauce swap and cakes. But over the holidays, I actually kind of went rogue. And on Christmas day, I created what I, I coined Texas lasagna. I'm from Texas. And so I was starting to make enchiladas for Christmas dinner. And then we didn't have a bunch of the things that I needed. And so I decided to just like make a layered version of an enchilada and called it Texas lasagna. And I used, you know, tortillas for the layers and whatever. And it turned out so good. And I was Mm -hmm. so proud of myself. But I was also so scared I was going to mess something up. And I had no idea if it was going to turn out okay. And this is a big stakes day. You know, this is Christmas dinner. So (laughs) what are your rules for experimenting? Like how far from the recipe can we veer before we mess something up? Well, in terms of cooking, I mean, you're not baking. Like I said, it does definitely depend on the recipe. But I mean, if you're not baking, you can really do so much with any recipe and completely change the flavors. That's kind of what I do a lot. One recipe can inspire me that's maybe even Asian. Like you just said, you were going to make, oh, you said you were going to make enchiladas anyway. So that was still, you still kept in that like Tex-Mex area, mm-hmm. but you turned it into a layer of lasagna. So, I mean, you can really do so much, but I would say maybe you want to stay within those same flavor profiles and that whole family so that you can feel like, okay, wait, I want to do Mexican tonight, right? So maybe some chili powder, maybe we need some cilantro, some limes, like all those basic ingredients. But I don't know what you didn't have, but Say you don't have chicken, right? But you have everything else to make your enchiladas. Well, 
you don't necessarily need the chicken. You could swap in something like rice or chopped vegetables or a different meat. Like you could do ground beef versus ground chicken or, you know, something like that. So I think staying in the same flavor profiles is probably your safest bet. So you, okay, at least like, I feel like I'm going to like these flavors, right? (laughs) Exactly. But even with something like Mexican, like say you didn't have what the ingredient that you didn't have for your enchiladas was tortillas. I mean, you could definitely swap in pasta and layer that all up and it's actually really good. It's totally different. Have you done that before? Yeah, like a Mexican pasta for sure. It's like taco lasagna? Well, I haven't (laughs) done a taco lasagna. That's an interesting concept. I like this idea for you. You let me know how that goes and then I'll just follow your recipe. I'll let you know for sure. Okay, good. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about maybe some of the trends that have happened in the last year. It's been a crazy year. Uh, the pandemic obviously has changed what cooking means for all of us. Sure has. How has it changed for you in your personal life? Well, it hasn't. I'm still cooking all the same. You know, I, like I said, always had a really well-stocked pantry. It's something that my mom taught me to do since I was a kid. She always says, you got to have backups for your backups. (laughs) So I was pretty prepared for that. So you had like 10 servings of like marinara sauce can. Like you, Uh how much do you buy as far as backups go? Yeah, we're big. Like my mom was a big Sam's Club girl and now we're just like big Amazon people. Yeah. Um, so you just buy in bulk. Buy in like bulk for sure. Staples. Or like we've been doing a lot of Thrive Market, which is another online marketplace. Um, and they're really great because you can do subscribe and save, you know, and yeah. you don't even have to think about it. So your your backups mm-hmm. for your backups just come automatically. Love it. Yeah, which is really nice. So for me, cooking didn't really change much, but it was so nice to see the world be cooking and realizing that, hey, like we can swap ingredients for certain things. And have fun in the kitchen. It's been really, really cool to see all of that take place, honestly. It's it's silver lining of everything. Yeah. And are there any types of recipes that you think have become more popular this year? I would guess comfort food. Oh my gosh. And anything with carbs in it. Is that accurate? Yes. So much comfort food. And then, yeah, we've seen a lot of crazy trends with TikTok. So TikTok has been like the start of so many different crazy trends. There was, what was it like the whipped coffee? And like, now it's like the hot chocolate bombs and so many. Wait, what's a hot chocolate bomb? Explain this. Oh my gosh. I haven't quite dabbled in it yet, but basically it is a ball, like a picture, a circle, like a, you know, a tennis ball, maybe a little smaller picture, like somewhere in between a tennis ball and a golf ball. And it's chocolate on the outside. And then in the middle, I, I don't know these details fully, but in the middle it's marshmallows and maybe it's like hot cocoa mix. I don't really know, but you put it in hot milk and basically the hot milk pops the ball and then it automatically melts into your... Oh, it turns into hot chocolate. So it's kind of like those uh, chocolate dipped spoons that you... Yes. I've gotten gifted before. What I've realized is like TikTok just takes things and like recreates them remixes in a really, yeah. really odd way. <laughs> like it's like it, sometimes it's like, wow, that's actually a genius. And sometimes you're like, but why would you actually do that? <laughs> you know? Right. Totally. Yeah. What else are you seeing in the trend world of food right now? Well, the other thing that's really trendy right now is the like folded wrap and you take a tortilla and you cut it from the middle down. So you just make like a slit right from the middle of the tortilla down. Like if you visualize it into four sections, like four corners, you put a different ingredient each corner and then you flip the bottom half up over the top half and then you flip it over 
two. I just saw this yes. actually. I yeah, like so it's like quadrants of a yeah. So just to visually explain it, it's like quadrants of the tortilla, mm-hmm. and only like a quarter of it is cut to the middle, and then there's this you fold it in triangles, and then you have this like three layered quesadilla, basically. Yeah, right. right. It's kind of like the Taco Bell Crunchwrap. That's a big trend, also. Still a big trend. <laughs> yes, I just made. I have to say, I just made a healthier version of the Taco Bell Crunchwrap, and it's been very popular. Oh. Yeah, so this is kind of like the very easy version of the Crunchwrap, and then you take it and you throw it in a skillet and you get it all melted. So it's like a quesadilla. Yeah, it's just a quesadilla. <laughs> yeah. What are the most common mistakes people make when they are cooking? Well. Cooking or baking? Because baking, I can tell you right away, just follow the recipe and you're going to be a lot happier because it is such an exact science. But with cooking, you know, having like the skillet too high or, you know, not setting time. I set timers for everything, either whether I'm cooking or baking, because trust me, you're going to forget about it, especially if you're the type of person that isn't like super strict in the kitchen and doesn't necessarily stress about things mm-hmm. and you are also doing 5 million other things or you have kids yeah <laughs> um like set a timer because you'll forget like you'll go do the laundry and you'll be like oh no and I, you burnt the pizza <sighs> especially if you're using the broiler like i have burnt so many pieces of toast oh my god the broiler is crazy mm-hmm. i don't know how the thing cook like I don't, broiling is insane <laughs> yeah I've, I've i've lit a few pieces of bread on fire we'll just say that So I am totally that person that is like doing 5 million things in the kitchen. And like, that's why I've just decided you need to set timers for everything. So set timers, yeah, like just cooking things at too high of a heat. Or one of the biggest things that I see people do is overcrowding their pans, which is really just like if you're trying to get a caramelization on anything or trying to get anything crispy or really just trying to make good food, like you're steaming your food instead of actually like letting air circulate around it. So don't overcrowd your pans. Uh, okay, that's good. That makes a lot of sense to me, especially with like Brussels sprouts and all the things you turn, like zucchini fries. Right, like point. anything that you don't want to be mushy, essentially, that you're trying to get crisp, like give it room to get some crisp so the air can circulate around it. I love it. Okay, let's move into how beautiful your food photography is. <laughs> and I take it that you learned styling in your minimal fashion career and life in LA, but how do we take great pictures of our food? Do you have any secrets to styling and sort of relatedly plating our food? Because maybe it's cooked well, but how do we make it look really delicious when we serve it to our friends? Yeah, I think that you can do so much with like a fresh topping. You know, I think there's a lot of things, especially those comfort foods that we've all been really like cooking a lot of. If you top it with something fresh, like an herb, so if you're doing a pasta and it has basil in it, like top it with fresh basil leaves and automatically you're adding color to that dish and making it just like a lot more visually appealing. You'll probably never see a recipe of mine like without some kind of fresh element on top, whether it's a green onion or an herb. I always do that. And then I think it's really nice too, if you're doing any kind of plating, like don't, again, with this overcrowding. And sometimes I'm a victim of it too. Like you want to put everything looks so good, right? And you like want to put everything out so that you can see it. But overcrowding the plate kind of just sometimes pushes things together and it doesn't work visually. So definitely doing normal size servings for your plates is probably good and giving some room. What else do I do a lot of? If something's looking a little dry, like a light drizzle of olive oil really helps. 
I feel like you use a lot of textures mm-hmm. like underneath the plate and around. I mean, I know this is for photography, but I think it's interesting for like serving if you were going to have a dinner party post COVID, let's say. <laughs> like, well, maybe you're doing what would it you, Zoom you or know. for your family or, or Zoom dinner party. Like, how do you, you just make it look so pulled together? So I love layering textures. I think the texture is really nice. It's so hard to like explain the process that is in my head just because it's so visual and things just kind of like look good to my eye. But I would say that when you were doing any kind of plating, keep it relatively simple. Like again, overcrowding, like presenting too much and having too much on the table is just like overwhelming and you don't want to be bumping things over and stuff like that. So simple is really always best. I like to use really natural linens and nothing with too bold of colors or patterns because if you are also trying to make the food look really delicious, that can really distract. Yeah. It can really distract your eye Yeah, and that's like never good. And then if you are, you know, if so say you're doing a dinner party and you want to create a really pretty tablescape, I would, you know, use the food as part of your centerpiece and keep it simple and layer in maybe, you know, you're doing a salad with pomegranates or something. So layer in those pomegranates into your tablescape is really pretty and it's inexpensive and a simple way to like just visually create a look that is all cohesive because you have the reds popping from pomegranates in the salad. So really just, I try to do simple things like that and use really what I have on hand or ingredients that are within the recipe and keep your dishware kind of, I like to use very neutral colors and things that really help the food pop and highlight the food in the best way possible. So like, I love a patterned dish. It's really pretty, but you know, putting your enchiladas on it isn't necessarily going to work that well. Mm. That's really poignant advice to a girl that loves colors and patterns. So yeah. The food is the color, the food or the patterns. Got oh my it. Gosh. Okay. You do. You are the color and pattern queen. That is going to be It's you. so hard for me to buy like beige plates. I just think it's it's really difficult. Like oatmeal colored linen tablecloths are so tough for me. I wouldn't do beige because I feel like it looks like a bandaid half the time. <laughs> Black plates. <laughs> Do you like that? That's good contrast, right? Yes. I love a black. I love like an anything matte. I'm not into huge shiny things. So I just think when you're working with food, you don't want it to look fake and you don't want it to look overly like you want it to look real. You want it to look real and delicious yeah. and melt in your mouth good. So when you bring in a lot of shiny things and colors, it just tends to look artificial. And I don't know, it just doesn't work with food in my opinion. And I have to shout out your tip you gave, I don't know, a while ago this beautiful gold serving wear and silverware that anthropology sells. That's like a matte gold. Is oh my gosh. Epic. I just, I bought it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so pretty. And it's my favorite. And it's also just so pretty to take pictures of too. So I'm going to throw that in there into your answer if that's okay with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And I will say, if you guys ever see me post about that silverware and I link to it, you've got to buy it right away because it's got to be the thing that sells out the most on anthropology, I swear. That's why I bought it because you were like, this literally sells out every time. So I, I was like, I need it now. I'm not joking. And what Britt said is really true. Like it is really pretty and elevates your table. And you know what? It's gold and it does add a pop of color, but it's just really pretty. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last question for you. What is your favorite recipe of all time? I know you're going to say it's like you have all your children and you love them the same, but (laughs) if there was one thing we all need to make that has been like the go-to for you, what would it be? 
if you love bread, I would 100% say you've got to try the non recipe that I created literally like the first year of the blog. And it's so funny because it's the most popular recipe on the blog, but it is so good. And it's really easy to make too. It's just, I think that bread is really intimidating for people. And this is a flatbread. So it's not anything like, you know, a sourdough. Right. So we don't need to use like starter and all of those crazy things. No, I still haven't even dabbled in it. Even after a year of everyone being, that was another trend of this year was the sourdough. I didn't even do it because the naan is so good. If you guys are familiar with Indian cuisine, naan is like an Indian flatbread and it is the most like soft, buttery, delicious Mm. flatbread. Like anytime I make it, uh, I have to double the batch and send a batch to my mom because it's her favorite thing to have in the breakfast. She loves carbs, as you guys have probably um, learned by now. <laughs> she loves carbs and chocolate chips. Carbs and, and chocolate chips and butter. <laughs> Those it. are her food groups. And she's so lucky to have you cooking for your whole family. So lucky. So do you just make these meals every day for Half-Baked Harvest and then they all get to eat thing? Like you just give them to everyone that's around you? Yeah. Well, so... I'm really lucky that like I literally live next door with my parents as well as our studio space. We're in Colorado. We have a lot of space, which is really nice. So yeah, there's always and right now because there's really nothing to do. All of my brothers are with my parents. So there's a lot of people, which is nice because I'm constantly testing so many recipes. So there's people to eat them. My dad's a great cook, but like they're a little lost in the kitchen these days. I love it. Well, Tegan, this has been so enlightening, so much fun. I am praying that one day there are lines of half-baked harvest restaurants and products, cooking supplies I can buy. Um, So let's all hope that dream comes true because frankly, as much as I want to cook like you, I would rather just eat all your food. Um, (laughs) but, But I will try to cook like you as well. And speaking of which, if you could give us all one piece of homework for the week, what would it be? If you are not big into cooking, go online, search your favorite recipe that you love to eat and enjoy and make it over the weekend. Like force yourself, not force yourself, just challenge yourself to like, give it a try, take the stress away. Like I said, if you need a little bit of like a glass of wine to help relax you or grab a friend or whoever you're with and, you know, do something fun together in the kitchen, it can be a really great activity. Like I would say, go make dumplings together. You know, it's actually really easy to do with some store-bought wonton wrappers and it's fun. It's challenging. And it's like something you would get out. So you feel really, really accomplished by the end of the process. Ah, I love it. Shifting your mentality Mm -hmm. to give something new a try. Well, that is exactly what this podcast is about. So we appreciate you coming on, Tegan. Where can everyone find you if they want more? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram and blog. So it's all just half Bay Tarvis. Instagram is half Bay Tarvis as well as all other social channels. So just pick your channel and search half Bay Tarvis. <laughs> Great. Love it. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 